In this podcast, we have provided general advice only and not personal advice. In giving this advice, we have not considered your personal circumstances. Welcome to episode two of EBM Insights, a podcast that discusses current topics around insurance and risk management. My name is Sandy Catley. Thank you for joining us. Last podcast, our Q&A session with Ryan Cameron, Director of Broking at EBM, focused on the differences between the hard and soft insurance market. During this chat, we discussed how these differences can impact on the ability to place an insurance program. In this segment, I'm joined by Tom Anderson-Nichols and Darren Schwartz, both from EBM, who will explain how the current hard market is impacting on placing directors and officers insurance. Welcome, Tom and Darren. Thanks, Sandy. Hi. Thank you for joining me. So to start things off, for those who missed our last podcast, could you briefly explain the differences between a hard and soft insurance market? In a soft market, they've got a lot more control. We can influence markets. We've got ability to um, negotiate uh, with various insurers over terms and conditions and premiums. In a hard market, a lot more of the control and the power rests with insurers because they're the ones who've got the capacity in their palms of their hands and the clients are the ones who need the product. It's a supply and demand issue for me. Uh, Darren, what's your thought? Yeah, look, it definitely feeds into itself really because the insurers uh, definitely do have the the control at the moment and they're all beating the drum of a hard market even though some of the returns haven't looked too bad across some of their portfolios. Um, it has started to sort of level off a little bit with regards to a few classes of insurance, but yeah. you know, directors and officers has been um, yeah very problematic, and I suppose that's been driven by some pretty significant losses. So they haven't really made too much money off yeah. DNO in the last sort of five years, maybe even ten years possibly. Yeah. Um, so that you know sector is definitely um, under challenge. Um, financial returns, which Ryan probably would have got across. You know, isn't great for the insurers. So mm-hmm. where they could offset some of their underwriting results previously, um, they can't do that anymore. So there's a much more uh, bigger focus on underwriting profit, um, you know, because that's where they're gonna make their money rather than the, the financial returns. So yeah, all those things. And it's not just one single class, it's across yeah, a lot of classes of insurance. Gotcha. I think um, DNO historically had a problem before we hit this market uh, yep. condition being super hard uh, it was already a problematic class and now we're in the thick of a hard market and I think those problems are adding uh, multiplying factors yeah. to, the, to the issue yeah. overall okay all right so what is the purpose of DNO insurance it's really to protect the individual directors and officers um, from liabilities that they may incur um, for alleged you know, wrongful acts, errors or yep. omissions um, in the performance of their duties as a director or officer of, of a company. That's what it really boils down to. And the, the history of DNO is to protect the individual director and officer, not so much the company itself because yep. the company can look after itself. It's where you're starting to get those personal liabilities, um, you know, taking action against that individual Um, And that's where it sort of stems from. And reasonably relatively new class of insurance within Australia, it's really, you know, became prominent in the 1980s around that sort of period, was in 
the US prior to that. Um, but yeah, it's really grown um, since that time. Um, the just to add to Dan's comment, the it, it's really designed to give directors confidence to go out and make business decisions and feel like they've got those protections to make decisions on behalf of a company and feel that there is protections for their personal accountability. Um, interestingly enough, one of the major issues, which I'm sure we'll come on to later on in this chat, will be the the conflict around what they call side C coverage, uh, which is securities cover, or think of it as uh, your uh, uh, book balance sheet yeah. protection for securities claims. Uh, if you think about the name directors and officers, it's interesting they also add uh, a separate section which is really company type cover okay. into it as well, which has been one of the major issues that's facing a lot of insurers at the moment. Okay. okay. Yeah, look, I mean, even without directors and officers insurance, typically the, the individual directors or officers should have a level of protection from the company itself. Generally, there's a company yeah. charter. Under the Corporations Act, there's indemnities that the company says, you know, if you have an action against you, we'll pr provide that protection and you know, cover legal costs and things like that. But the issue is, is what if there's no funds within the company, if there's insolvency issues, there's no money to pay the individual directors, you know, legal expenses, or if there is an argument between the actual company and that individual director, and they say, no, we're not going to give you that indemnification, um, that's where you know individual directors and officers want a DNO policy in place, just so they do have that level of comfort um, that there is going to be some protection for them there. Noticed in recent years, more and more companies in Australia are turning to DNO cover due to litigation. Why is this? Do you think it's really just an increasing regulatory framework? The amount of um, legislation out there. I think there's probably you know, over five to six hundred pieces of legislation that you know directors may be faced with um, obviously not all industries or, or whatever but um, that's just the, the the framework Australia's yeah, as I said got a lot of legislation in place a lot of laws uh, a lot of scrutiny yeah. um, you know royal commissions um, there's a lot of uh, disclosure requirements constant disclosure obligations yeah. uh, there's the amount of uh, potential fines and penalties that they can be faced with uh, it's a, it's a pretty heavily uh, litigious environment that they operate in and there are a lot of individuals, uh, government bodies and other corporations that are happy to uh, pursue losses if they feel that yeah. they're entitled to them. Yeah. yeah, and those government agencies are pretty well funded as well, so they've got a fair bit of teeth um, yeah. and can make life hell. Obviously, they're there for a reason for consumer yeah. protection and... You know, environmental protection yeah those kinds of things but mm. you know sometimes they do have their own um, agendas as well and want to make a bit of a name for themselves to go after the the bigger guys and 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 I suppose justify their existence as well yeah I mean interesting I've also read that Australia is now second only to the US where a company is likely to face a significant class action lawsuit which is is quite interesting indeed yeah, yeah no definitely um, and that's probably what we probably just touched on a little yeah, bit as well yeah. in so far as having a lot of uh, legislation in place um, and really just uh, I suppose aggressive uh, legal firms as well mm. the litigation funders um, quite happy to fund some of those bigger class actions against 
uh, companies um, and there's even a debate going with regards to what Tom was saying earlier about the side C cover. Yeah. There's also that argument that, that the actual availability of side C cover has probably driven some of that sort of litigation sort of funding um, because they know that there's an insurance pocket to chase after and they're not chasing yeah. after the um, actual company itself. So yeah. yeah, a lot of that is sort of like seems to feed in on itself a little yeah. bit. Um, historically, uh, the, the major sectors that this would probably happen uh, to would be uh, the, the bigger end of town is where you see a lot of the class actions. There's a lot more of uh, an insurance bucket to be yeah. uh, attacked, but that does not mean that the smaller guys are immune to that either. Right. Um, there are lots of... Uh, considerations when um, your a client is buying DNO as to how much protection they want, the limits they set, and the, the, the end premium that they're gonna end up having to pay to get that cover mm. in place. Uh, some sectors are probably more litigious than others. Uh, for example, a high, Volumes of perhaps blue collar workers might see a greater volume of um, employment practices yep. claims against them. You might have uh, a IT sector company with greater exposure to um, privacy, privacy kind of breaches and notifiable data breaches issues. And, yeah. uh, those are the sort of things where you can see a clear link between a a number of major issues and perhaps they're in the media currently I and mean, we've all seen high profile cases for uh, sexual harassment, workplace bullying, discrimination claims and they're not really attached to any one sector, it could no, be anybody. that's right. Okay, okay. And look there's definitely a focus on the current COVID sort of 19 situation as well that yeah. you know, every insurer's got their own sort of uh, questionnaire about you know how the company's managing that because they, they think there's going to be some long tail claims against management if I they see. don't manage this situation um, well or there's you know uh, concerns about employee safety or client safety or the other area is solvency a big yeah. concern for insurers is yeah. whether your once the job keeper dries up once the job keeper and the the stimulus starts to dry up how solvent is your company because think there's concern that there's a bit of a cushioning effect uh, and there's potentially companies who may have needed to uh, shut their doors but they haven't because the government's propping them up yep. and uh, that's something that they're very keen to look at. Definitely interesting times ahead for everyone. Darren and Tom we touched on previously how Australia is now second only to the US when it comes to litigation and lawsuits how is that impacting on the price component for DNO insurance? Well, it's obviously had a major impact, as you would expect. Um, insurers, Darren touched on earlier, it, have seen some significant losses in this space where previously uh, clients may have been having what they saw as an affordable pro but necessary product. Uh, that premium from even in the last 12 months could have potentially gone up by 50% uh, uh, or the other impact is that uh, it may have been that the insurer simply doesn't want to put out the same level of cover or restricted it considerably uh, as part of their 
remediation, as they would call it, of the exposure. Okay. Dar, have you seen some significant price hikes? Yeah, definitely. And that probably happened even before um, COVID. It might have even been happening around 18 to 24 months ago in the, in the DNO space mm-hmm. where there was a bit of financial you know, instability, um, particularly in the sort of mining uh, space. Um, so there was a little bit more screening. A few players like um, AIG are becoming more conservative. They were quite aggressive in the past with their pricing and um, writing a lot of business, um, whereas they then had a change in underwriting um, position. Um, and so then the other players who were maybe a little bit more expensive were then picking up that business and that's driven some of the pricing increases. And yeah, but over the last sort of probably six to 12 months, it's really sort of uh, accelerated uh, the price increases. Um, and look, it's, sometimes it's not a matter about your price increase, it's actually about getting the actual cover yeah. for the client. Yeah. Um, and you know, some clients probably in more challenged industries would have probably seen some very significant increases, you know, not just 30, 40%, but you know, they might've been paying say 20, 20K for five mil previously, and they could go up to potentially 80 to 100 in some of those sort of challenged um, industries. So yeah, it's definitely very significant increases. When uh, we are discussing renewals or you know, when we're meeting new clients, uh, the conversation, usually ends up steering from uh, a pricing consideration to what uh, covers the insurers is still prepared to provide and what, which ones they're going to exclude. Often we are seeing uh, really heavy underwriting around issues of the board stability, the uh, future cash flows of the business, what the overall uh, disclosures have been to the market over the past 12, 24 months. They're no longer just looking at a piece of paper and running it through a rater. They are really looking at all sorts of aspects of the business and wanting to understand and feel comfortable that it's a business they're prepared to put their paper behind. And it comes down to the areas of operation sometimes yeah. as well you know like i mean the big one at the minute is the coal industry if you've got anything to do with the coal industry it's pretty hard from an insurance perspective um dno property liability across the board mm-hmm. so um they've been much more selective of, of certain industries um to the point even where even if, if you're even exposed to coal now yeah. they often won't wow. engage with you okay mm-hmm. When you're working on a DNO insurance program for a client, are there particular areas you look at? Look, we probably look at the same areas that the insurers are going to look at as well. Um, and Tom might have touched on it a little bit with regards to their financial stability, uh, the long-range forecast, uh, cash flow, um, uh, stability of the of the board, um, their areas of operation. You know, there's sometimes if they've got a fair bit of activity. Overseas, that may be a negative. Uh, U.S. exposures, also, you know, uh, p- potentially a negative or, or rated higher, or you know, cover restrictions in place. So, um, there's a lot of companies on the ASX which have a head office here, but don't have any actual activities here. So, um, if they've got over, if that's their profile, um, it's very difficult to get DNO insurance for them. Um, you know. Sometimes you get multiple layers of companies where we've got uh, considerations for conflicts of interest that need to be managed very carefully 
outside directorship exposures where members of the board are also sitting on other boards external to the company and could bring exposure from that aspect. Uh, as we said, it's, it's the major uh, increase in, uh, in underwriting scrutiny also means that turnaround times are a lot longer. So we are having to engage these conversations a lot earlier and be upfront with the, um, the fact that it's not simply a pricing issue, but the level of cover that they can, um, that's available in the market. Look, companies, uh, major shareholders can also have an impact as well. Yeah. Um, if there's a high profile shareholder with 10% of the company and um, you know, they've been seen in the media to be um, fairly yeah. litigious or causing waves with governments or... Elon Musk, um, classic example. Yeah, well, that's yeah. exactly but right. He, yeah. uh, they would not provide any insurance to Tesla as he was a, the major shareholder and had been tweeting constantly. Ah. Uh. And uh, caused uh, a number of waves to the point where he had to ensure the directors himself. Wow. Yep. That's. Yeah, then, I mean, closer to home, um, uh, Mr. Palmer. <laughs> yes, and that was his name. I, like, heard I, I wouldn't know who about. insures um, <laughs> Mr. Palmer's exposures, yeah, but I'm sure it wouldn't be an easy placement. No, that's it, yeah, and he's got a lot of interest in a lot of uh, mineral exploration mm. companies, um, mining companies, so mm. I'm sure they're having um, probably difficulties placing the DNO um, right now. Okay, all right. So, what uh, approach do you advise for DNO cover? At some point, clients will have a cap on how much they can spend on insurance. Right. That's the reality from yeah. my perspective. We could continue saying, how much cover should we get? As brokers, we don't want to be telling them that they have enough cover because that's a very dangerous position for us to take. Mm-hmm. But the, what will happen is the, we will continue to provide increases and, and options for increased limits. And at some point, the client will turn around and say, that's too expensive. And the conversation will cease because the pricing becomes unrealistic for them or unsustainable. There will be a grey area, I think, in the middle where they will need some guidance. Mm -hmm. We will never tell a client that they have enough insurance. But what we can tell them is, look at things like your market capitalisation, your shareholder spread, uh, who your major shareholders are, uh, whether they're um, retail, whether they are uh, sophisticated, whether they're institutions, and help guide them on making their own decision. Because ultimately, they are better informed as to what their own risks are than we are as their broker. Yeah, look, the first question I always ask is typically, what are you actually purchasing purchasing DNO insurance for? And typically, most of them will say, well, it's to protect directors and officers. So that's really what starts the conversation because just going back to a lot of the issues in the current market is resulting from side C, which has eroded the premium pool because, you know, the average uh, class actions, you know, 50 to 70 mil roughly. Um, so that's, that's where the insurers have been really hit. So insofar as the own profile, are you looking to protect the company or are you looking to protect individual directors and officers? And most of the clients that we probably deal with, they're purchasing DNO really to protect the um, you know, director's own liabilities. Um, hence, you know, that's where you have that discussion. Well, you probably don't need side C because side C can erode the cover mm-hmm. or the limit if it's a shared limit yep. with um, the DNO. So that can be a, a, a bad situation to be in if you're a director having to fund 
liability because the, the company's taken a lion's share of the limit. Um, so that's probably one of the, the primary concerns. And there's some insurers that don't even offer side C for that very reason. And they say, well, look, I think the history of now, the mm. most there are very few that do now offer side C. Yeah, look, there's a very limited market. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, um, look, and where possible, continuity with the same insurer who's yeah. uh, reputable, um, has a good track record of claims management, um, and is going to be favourable for the client when they are managing that claim. You don't want to sort of chop and change this class of insurance because you want to build that premium pool. You know, where possible, obviously, if the current insurer's going through difficulties and increasing premiums to ridiculous levels, well, then it's obviously you might need to make a change, but you try to get onto a, a good provider, long-term relationship, and, and yeah, really build that relationship with them. Because, you know, they or we as brokers don't want to be in a position where you've put it with maybe, you know, maybe a smaller provider or, one that is not as good as some of the, the big sort of tier sort of DNO providers, um, and yep. you have issues when it comes to claim. Um, so, one of the other issues with moving insurer is that you've got to be careful around the continuity of cover clause. That if you, in this space and the with the coverages that are being provided, an attractive premium might be provided by another insurer. However you'd need to disclose all claims prior to moving, which can cause some significant headaches um, and uh, mean that if you don't and you've missed something that you should have disclosed, uh, that continued cover is eroded, whereas yeah. if you'd stayed with your current insurer, you'd have the protections from that long-term relationship okay. that you've established. All important things to consider. Well, thank you, Darren and Tom, for joining me in the pod today. That was uh, very insightful. Interestingly enough, we're called EBM Insights. So thank you for your <laughs> knowledge. And uh, thanks for joining me. Thank well, you. Thank you. Yeah, been a pleasure. Thank you. It's a wrap for this podcast of EBM Insights. Thanks to our guests and for those of you listening in. If you would like more information on any of the topics we've discussed, please contact EBM on 1300 755 112 or visit ebm.com.au.